You're listening to Doctors Who Create, and this is Darlena. I'm here with the second part of our writing in medicine episode. In part one, we talked about six-word stories. We talked about journalism, Agora, which is a literary magazine, and we talked about narrative medicine and how to get work published. In this conversation with Dr. Colleen Farrell, we touch upon the role of confidence in medicine, speaking openly about mental health, how to find a good literary mentor, and so much more. Um, so I'm Colleen Farrell, um, and I am a second-year internal medicine he- resident here at NYU. Great. So how did you get started with writing? I guess I would say that I realized that I actually liked writing, that writing itself was something that I enjoyed and wanted to pursue in a serious way in college. Um, At that time, I didn't do any creative writing, um, but I was a humanities major. Um, I studied women's and gender studies at a small liberal arts school um, and loved the creative process of even just choosing a topic that I wanted to um, explore in a paper, even in a more academic style, um, and realized then that I wanted to keep writing. And then um, after college, I worked um, at a bioethics think tank, and I started writing for the blog um, for the Hastings Center, um, which is this um, bioethics research institute in upstate New York. And it was when I first started writing for a blog, that was the first time I was sharing my ideas with a, a broader audience, not just writing for my professor in school, and I could bring in some personal anecdotes and take some ideas from um, philosophy or feminist theory and put them in conversation with things going on in medicine and found that really rewarding. Um, so that's when I realized I wanted to keep writing in a way that wasn't so academic. Um, so then I got to, when I got to med school, then I, that's when I took my first real plunge into saying I'm doing creative writing. Um, and uh, I, I basically just had this idea that medicine was, there was like, med school is this really um, interesting transition from being a lay person or part of the general population, as we say, and then becoming a physician. And that um, time of transition and change um, would, like going through that transformation oneself and having the eyes of a beginner would be a way of kind of exploring a lot of like bigger cultural questions in medicine. So I really wanted to write while I was in medical school. Um, Which big cultural yeah. questions are you interested in answering? Um, ah, gosh, there's like so much about medicine that's so fascinating to me. I think as a human, I'm interested in what it means to be human <laughs> in a very simple sense. And I think medicine provides a window into that as we think about um, suffering and death and relationships. Um, so on one hand, I just wanted to know, like, what is it like to be a human, given that all of the people we meet in medicine have such varied experiences um, and come from such different walks of life. And then I think um, in terms of the more cultural questions in medicine that I've been interested in exploring in my writing is about um, power dynamics within medicine, the role of power in the doctor-patient relationship, um, which can be used for good, but also um, needs to be examined critically. Um, and then I think like I'm interested in like the socialization of physicians, like what does it mean to take kind of a regular 23-year-old and make her into a doctor? Like what, what happens, what does that mean? What it, 
what do we think it means when we say we're going to make her into a doctor? What was that process like for you? Like be, being made into a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Painful <laughs> and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I don't even know where to begin. I think in some ways it's very hard to go through it with this kind of meta perspective. I think it made it harder. Like if I had just kind of gone in and not been thinking about how I was being socialized, maybe it would have um, gone more smoothly. But I think from the very beginning, I was just really mindful. I think first in the class, you're mindful about language. So one of the big things, and this ties in a lot to writing. So like first or second week of med school, we're getting taught about how to, I don't know if it's write a note or give a presentation. They're just kind of like introducing us to this concept. And they introduce us to the SOAP note format. So subjective, objective, assessment, and plan. And so they tell us if subjective is like whatever the patient says. So maybe like um, the patient tells you that, you know, they had this pain in their leg and that they have diabetes. So that's your subjective. And then the objective is whatever the doctor, like information the doctor obtains. And so they give us the example of the physical exam and like you describe your physical exam. And I just I remember thinking like, that is not what those words mean. <laughs> like the fact that this patient has diabetes strikes me as objective. Um, and then the doctor's physical exam has so much subjectivity in it. And like, I now like graduate from medical school, I'm in residency, I use that format, I understand these concepts. Like we're separating out what the patient tells you and the data that we have and we include our physical exam in it. But I think it's important to be really thoughtful about those words, um, like our concepts of subjectivity and objectivity um, in medicine. So concepts like that were very jarring to me when I first encountered them. Mm -hmm. Um, I can relate to that as a (laughs) 23-year-old going through that process myself. It is very much like learning a new language. Mm -hmm. All these acronyms, a lot of the terminology, the words that have a different meaning in a layperson context. Yes, yes, and Mm -hmm. that new language isn't just vocabulary, it's new ways of talking about people. And the new syntax and the new use of words um, connotes certain um, deeper meanings that get at things like power. So when we say, um, just even like little things in the first few years of medical school, language is so powerful, we say um, in diabetic like rather than people with diabetes. And then what's implied in that is that nobody in the room you're talking to has diabetes. When like in that example, I know medical students and doctors who have diabetes. So that's like grossly inaccurate. But we even say like in your patient's heart or in their hearts or whatever, like as if we don't have them. So there's this like weird divide that gets- Us versus yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. That us versus them language, I think um, I noticed just in the classroom. Then, so that was just like processing that. Pe- well, and then the other, big part of the socialization and that I felt very compelled to write about in med school, like the anatomy lab, um, which is a whole big topic. <laughs> um, but then going to the wards, I think that's when you see culture, not just in the, the language um, primarily, but just the whole experience of it was um, there's learning whatever we want to call the medicine itself and then like learning how to be in that environment, which took up probably more of my energy (laughs) in the format. And it seems like writing helped you with that process, but also made it harder at the same time. It's just this kind of double-edged sword. (laughs) I I would, uh, yeah. So I'd say my my story starts getting a little bit complicated 
um, going through the wards because so I went into medical school with this idea that I wanted to be like an anthropologist. Like I had this real ambivalence about going into medicine. So I was like, well, I'm going to kind of observe it and kind of keep myself separate from it. Um, but when I got into the wards, that wasn't really possible, and I'm not sure it's actually a good thing to have that degree of separation. So I just kind of like got plunged into it and was really in the world of it. And a lot of those kinds of initial reactions I'd had in the first year or two of medical school where I questioned the language um, and was just like very critical of a lot of how we were being taught things. Um, that gave way to like a survival instinct on the wards. Like you cannot be questioning everything. Um, and part of that's just humility. Like people in medicine do what they do sometimes for good reason. And it's not always apparent um, until you've been around for a bit. Not everything is done for good reason though. And so I really um, kind of suppressed that questioning in myself um, and got through that year fine, um, but ended up severely depressed um, after I finished my third year of medical school. Um, and that was a new diagnosis for me. Um, I had to take some time off and went to different doctors. And um, so that was actually when I began writing most seriously. And that's kind of my current practice has kind of continued from that time. So writing became this um, alongside therapy and meditation was really this transformative healing practice for me of trying to make sense of my experience and put my own subjectivity back into like the wards and kind of letting my own version of things speak even if just on the page to myself um, because I found the experience of being a medical student so disempowering like my it felt that my account of things my interpretation of events was uncredible um, and I think that disconnect from my inner experience and voice um, was a main contributor to my depression and so then getting to tell my own story on the page um, had a profound role in my own healing and continues to now. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that therapeutic nature of writing mm -hmm. for you, that next step of sharing it mm -hmm. with the greater community, mm -hmm. what was that step like? Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's so fraught sharing writing with other people because you have to the ego does drive <laughs> part of this, right? Like you want to publish things, but I think my most rewarding experiences with sharing writing, I think writing, you know, for me, I need to get to a degree of having process before I share something. Mm -hmm. Like my most raw free writing, um, I don't share with um, many people. I share like with my writing mentor and my husband um, but especially around this like topic of sharing stories about depression, I found that um, sharing the story itself was also part of healing and being that willingness to be vulnerable um, in, in sharing my own story allowed people to connect with me and then opened up and shared their stories and created more of a sense of community. Um, and so, you know, at first, kind of sharing my story about depression was just like writing a long Facebook post about it that like a lot of people in med school saw and, or I'd kind of, in certain forums, be like, 
start telling people what I was going through. Um, and then my first big step to like sharing um, part of my story more publicly was in my um, medical school graduation speech. Um, I that speech I spoke about patients' vulnerability broadly, but then kind of related to my own experience of being vulnerable and going to a doctor and saying like I'm in pain and this hurts and asking for help and then being willing to be vulnerable to people around me. Vulnerability became this seed for healing and transformation. And so it taught me a lot about um, recognizing vulnerability in our patients, that that's something really profound that they entrust us with. Um, and that we go through so much in our training and this there's so much suffering that we experience in witnessing other people's suffering and then just our own sleep deprivation and um, own anxieties and fears and things, other things that we're going through in our lives outside of medicine. Um, and I think I want to create a medical culture where people feel that there is space and respect to share their vulnerable stories and know that like opening up in that way is a way of forging connections and forging community and forging healing. And I have to say every time I've like shared parts of my story that's experienced with depression, I mean maybe behind my back people are saying not nice things, but I haven't encountered any of that and, and I don't know that that's happening. I don't, I have no reason to believe that that's happening. What I've been struck by is how grateful people are for honest stories and how people that I don't even know that well or won't have seen in months will reach out to me um, and say like, I'm going through this, like how, how did you deal with this? Um, can you give me some tips or can you just listen to me? Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been really struck by the power of, of sharing stories um, to help communities I'm hopeful for that change in medical culture as well. And yes. <laughs> thanks for all that you've done to start opening that conversation. Thank you. Um, does this tie into your Rudin Fellowship Project? How did your Rudin Fellow pro Fellowship Project come sure. about? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that project is both different and related and still kind of in the works and I'm uh, <laughs> still struggling with in a way. But, but basically I did this project, or I'm in the midst of this project looking at um, uh, confidence in medical trainees and how women, um, actually women in general, tend to have lower levels of confidence compared with men. And it totally came out of this like personal experience. So like when I was processing this third year of medical school, I would go to the library for, I, I took an extra year of medical school to develop my writing. Um, and I had an amazing um, writing mentor, Suzanne Coven, um, put in a plug for her work. She's the writer in residence at Mass General Hospital and um, is incredibly wise um, as a person and writer and doctor. Um, but she was like, write, write scenes. Like just sit and write scenes and recall as many details as you can and just like what it really felt like to be in that moment. Like try to take your like intellectual side out of it a little bit. Because we tend to over, well, there's nothing wrong with intellectualizing things, but sometimes to get the meat of something, you need to kind of let your thinking brain go a little bit. And I think as doctors, that's hard for us to do. So anyways, I'm like sitting in the library um, during this extra year I took writing for several hours a day, just like almost stream of consciousness, but trying to evoke a lot of details. And different themes emerged in that. Um, but one of the things that came up a lot was that 
I got told all the time on the ward that I needed to be more confident. And it never sat right with me, but like I didn't know what to do with that feeling. Um, and so Dr. Colvin, my rating mentor, has always taught me and continues to in email exchanges that are ongoing to like move towards your discomfort and try to like drill down to like what is it about this that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I've been writing about this a lot and I don't have like a clear um, answer because I think it's really complex. I think there's questions about what does it mean to develop confidence as a learner and as a clinician. I um, And on the one hand, that just, that takes time and practice. Um, then there's assessing, figuring out the difference between um, confidence and certainty, which are different, and in medicine we confuse them a lot. Um, I am like claiming a space where I am confident about my uncertainty. This is like, um, I think really so you what can be <laughs> confidently uncertain. Exactly, about you can be <laughs> confidently uncertain, and I really want to claim space for that as doctors and as human beings. And I think writing, like write like art in general is maybe like confidently uncertain a lot of times in that like the world is messy and gray and it doesn't mean you lack confidence when you say I'm really not sure what's going on and like so much of residency is learning how to tell patients like I don't know what's going on like please come back to clinic in a month and we'll see how you're doing or I'm not really sure what this test result means or I think this medicine will help you but it has these side effects like let's figure out what's important to you like or none of our tests None of, no test is 100% sensitive and specific, right? So there's so much um, un uncertainty um, in medicine, so much of medicine is probabilistic thinking. It reminds just like me, yeah. yeah. go ahead, sorry. Of I'm that graph yes. where it's how much, you, how much you know about a particular field uh -huh. and then how certain you feel about uh -huh. <laughs> your, your knowledge. And at the beginning, that when you know that little bit of knowledge uh -huh. your confidence goes up and then there's that valley of despair yes. <laughs> and then eventually yes. when you reach expertise you gradually build the confidence and knowledge base up but that's yes, the there, exactly. there's a name for it there's the dunning-kruger yes dunning-kruger <laughs> effect that is what people are very <laughs> confident and sometimes on the wards certain medical students are very confident and it boggled my mind that they could be so confident because i think i just was in that, I don't know if I had despair over it, I was just acutely aware of how little I knew about clinical medicine. Um, and then the, the kind of third piece about this whole confidence thing is how I think the language is really gendered or the concepts are. And, and that is itself like a big topic. Um, um, trying to kind of set up, it, you know, the ways that women are discriminated against in medicine um, in terms of pay, pay inequity and promotion criteria and that we don't get, you know, there's this study everybody cites about how doctors um, giving grand rounds, the women doctors are much less likely to be introduced as doctor compared to male doctors. That's when other male doctors are introducing them. Women doctors introduce women and men doctors as doctors. Um, but anyways, there's all these like systemic biases that you could say drive low confidence in women. But then, so that's like at one level of thinking about feminism. And then there's kind of the next, I think like a layer deeper is like, why do we revere confidence so much? Like what are these behaviors that we call confidence? And like, is that what we really want? Like something confidence 
like a competent person will interrupt sooner. But like, do we really want doctors who interrupt? <laughs> like, <laughs> like who interrupt their patients or interrupt their colleagues um, or don't seek out feedback from other people? Like, so anyways, um, writing about that has been exciting, but also challenging because I'm writing a lot about like personal experiences and then trying to put it in conversation with like pedagogical theories and data. And um, I'm realizing I'm going to separate out some of my kind of like more academic ideas about pedagogy and medical education. And then I'm still kind of writing about this more disempowered experience of being a medical student, um, which ties into the, the things I was talking about with depression um, and my like goal like long-term 10-year goal and maybe it, it's an aspiration and it will change. I'm not going to hold myself to it, but I would really like to write a memoir about this it, this socialization process into becoming a doctor and my experience with depression and disempowerment during that and kind of reclaiming um, my voice. And so I think the my Rudin Fellowship really helped me with like one of the big themes in that, which is being a woman. Uh, physician and um, larger questions about gender and feminism. Well, that's a memoir I would love to read. So let me <laughs> know when it's out. <laughs> Just don't hold your breath. <laughs> Great. Are there any other things you'd like to share uh, with maybe medical students, other people in training who are listening to this podcast um, about writing yeah, or about yeah, confidence? Yeah. What What do you think their right. main takeaway should be? Well, I'm going to pivot a little bit, and I want to share something about stories. Um, and this is on my mind in part because of something we did earlier today. Um, so uh, I guess I'll tell you what we did today. So um, I'm in the primary care program and we were learning about addiction today. And um, we had two people come join us who are um, patients in an outpatient addiction program. And we had breakfast together and heard their stories trying to just be people in conversation and taking off our, our doctor hats. And um, their stories were very moving and gave me a lot of insight into their experiences with addiction. And you know, part of what they expressed was how I think storytelling and self-expression and telling one's own truth is so important in healing of many kinds. And I think that we talk a lot about why do doctors in particular write? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of doctors who write and there's a lot of doctors who write about their experience of caring for patients and you know what is it a the question comes up like what is it about doctoring that compels people to write and how does writing make people better doctors? And I think what I've been reflecting on just in the last few weeks, especially as I learn more about addiction, is that healing in kind of a, a broader sense, rather than just like necessarily fixing a biomedical problem, I think happens in the context of a story. I think people who have been through something in life that has necessitated a healing process, whether that's um, a personal trauma or a big life transition, or medical illness um, will be able to tell you a story with kind of with a story meaning it has a beginning a middle and an end like life was going on this way and this crisis presented itself and then this was this challenge that was faced and 
and things were lost and things were gained and here is how I grew. And I think people can tell you stories, like every human has so many of those stories and our patients have them. And I think so often we miss, um, we get so caught up in what were the lab values or like when was the last time you used heroin or when was the surgery or what are your symptoms right now that we kind of miss that larger narrative. And I have found one of the things I really strive for in my writing as a physician is to not, to kind of take, to always be mindful that I am writing as a person who is also a physician, not as a physician who writes about patients. Like I sort through my own stuff and my own trauma and my own life experiences in my writing and medicine informs that and it's this thing I love to do and so it shapes the kinds of stories I tell. Um, but for me, having gone through illness, um, depression in my case, and this kind of traumatic experience of medical school not being what I had hoped it would be, and then kind of emerging and still loving medicine um, and thinking that I, I think I'm a better doctor for that experience, I like understand my life in terms of this narrative, and it's something that I try to really listen for when I'm meeting patients and hearing their stories. And I don't think you have to be someone interested necessarily in the craft of writing to seek that out. Um, and I, but I think when we listen to patients' stories, like that's kind of like an element of, of storytelling that I would encourage anyone in medicine to listen for, to listen for the kind of moments of crisis and decision-making in their patient's narrative and the elements that have contributed to their healing. Um, I think those can be real points of connection and humanity in how we care for people. That's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing your Thanks, story Starlina. with us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Now you finally reach the end of our episode on writing and medicine. Hope you've been enjoying our series, which is sponsored by the Master Scholars Program in Humanistic Medicine at the NYU School of Medicine. And that's all we got for this episode of Doctors Who Create. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.